to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, the title of my message this morning is Mr. Everybody, a Dead Elephant and a Toothless Lion. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for the anointing of your spirit. I thank you that you're here in such a real way, God. Every time when we sing to you, every time when we shift our focus and our attention to you, God, you're so faithful to make your presence known, to manifest yourself, God. And so I would just ask that you would open us up, Holy Spirit, anoint our ears to hear and our eyes to see, God, and help me, God. You know that I need you so much for these next few moments. Would you overshadow me, God, and speak to your people, Lord. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. So we're looking at the Christmas story through a little bit of a different lens. We're looking at it through the lens of the tension that we live in between fear and faith. And it's interesting, we're, we're in this season that celebrates the beginning of the most compelling chapter in the history of humanity, the arrival of the Messiah, the remedy for the, the sin-sick souls of mankind, the entrance of the hero that would rescue humanity from its self-imposed sentence of brokenness and shame. And the Christmas season, it has a tension all its own. You can feel it out in traffic right now, right? You could feel it. Anybody been in any stores in the last few days, right? It's kind of this strange dichotomy uh, that some people are so wound up and so anxious while at the same time they're piping in, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas when you're walking through Target, right? Yeah. It's a little ironic that we've made celebrating the Prince of Peace the most frenetic time of our year, right? But the Christmas story was not without moments of like real fear and real anxiety. And we're touching on these moments when the angel appeared to Mary last week and this week when the angel appears to Joseph. And our story starts with a young couple that's just starting out in life. Do you ever marry couples in the room that, that, that are maybe my age or older? Do you ever look back at the old pictures of yourself, like when you were in your 20s and you're like, what was I thinking? Right? No? Okay. Uh, like I look back and the first thing is like, man, I was skinny. I was like, I was skinny when we got married. And, uh, or bad hairstyles. We'll just do a little survey before we get in. How many... Um, how many guys in the room, you rocked a mullet at one point in your life? Yes. I had the mullet about seventh grade. Jeff Welker, you had a mullet? You gotta bring that picture in, bro. <laughs> how, many, how many people had the feather hair, the 80s feather hair? Yeah, Tom Patton did. I saw the picture. Some ladies, you had the Farrah Fawcett. You had that? Yeah? The feather hair? Who had a rat tail? Anybody want to own up to a rat tail? Michael Janice, like, I'm proud of you, sir. That takes some courage. That a rat tail. <laughs> How about, okay, more my age. 80s, like in the, it, it was late 80s, early 90s. There was that thing where girls tease their hair with, in the front with the bangs and it kind of looked like something you could catch a fly with. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> yep, yep, Aaron had that. You had one of those? Yeah, those are, you should pull those up. When you look back, you're like, man, <laughs> that has nothing to do with this message. No, but Mary and Joseph, they were right at the beginning. If, the, if you could look at a picture of them frozen in time, they, they were just two kids. We learned last week that adulthood in the Jewish society, they, the commentators agree they were somewhere between like 13 and 16 years old. 
right? And they're, they're just stepping into what their culture considered adulthood, um, and God bursts into their lives, right, with a plan that they didn't see coming, and I'm, I'm excited to dive into the text. If you love the word of God this morning, say yes. yes. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna start in, I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James, and I'm gonna start in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband being just a man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Or if you're a King James reader, fear not. Don't be afraid to take Mary to you your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And so last week we touched on Mary's first encounter and the angel coming and saying, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. In the NIV translation, more than 70 times, that command is given in scripture, do not be afraid. And that's not even inclusive of all the times that there's a slight variation of the wording, like don't fear, fear not. So more than don't steal, don't lie, don't say a four-letter word when you stub your toe. The heart of God that's revealed through scripture again and again is crying out to you, he's crying out to me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is worth noting that in the rise of postmodernism that we're living in, in a post-Christian America, in a society that's more and more hostile to the prince of peace, that anxiety is on an epidemic rise. Have you seen the numbers? Anxiety disorders are affecting around 40 million adults. That's approximately one in five people. Globally, the World Health Organization says that almost 300 million people have an anxiety disorder. And if you know me, you know that my background is nursing. And so I understand the chemical and the physical implications of anxiety, but we cannot ignore the spiritual component, can we? God made us much more than chemistry, did he not? So flying in the face of all those numbers and the very real rise in anxiety out there is a a definitive cry from the heart of God through this book that's saying, trust me, trust me, don't be afraid, I've got this. This might look terrifying, but don't freak out, fear not. I can hear the heart of God and he's saying gently, fear is not from me. I haven't forgotten you, I'm with you, I love you, I'm for you, you don't have to be afraid. But Pastor Mike, there seems to be plenty to be afraid of in 2018, almost 2019. Topping the list of the most common fears, let's blast through a few of them. One of the number one is the fear of public speaking. So I'm a crazy person. Fear of getting sick, fear of walking alone at night, fear of snakes, that's me. Fear of spiders, terrified. Fear of heights, fear of small spaces, fear of flying, fear of identity theft, fear of mass shootings, terrorism, 
mean, those are things that pop, but I wanna drill down today on something that's like so universal that it affects every single person in the room. From the time we're this big until the time we're done on this earth, there's one fear, and it, and it shapes us. It, it shapes us. Not everybody is afraid to give a speech or fly in an airplane. Not everybody is afraid to jump up here and speak publicly, but everybody in this room, every person in the world has to grapple with the fear of what other people are thinking about us at any given time. Why did she look at me like that? Why did he say that? I can't believe I wore this. How, what was I thinking when I wore this? Guys never think that, by the way. That's why he gives us wives to say, you can't wear that. That's not on the same color wheel, darling. How many men in the room your wives shop for you? Okay, I just made a note of all of it. We're all thinking that you're messed up. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. That's the whole message. So we all have to deal with this fear. We're hardwired. It's part of our DNA to want to be loved and accepted by other people, right? To be connected. We're, we're made for this interconnectedness. But, but sin has altered that DNA, our spiritual DNA, sin, when it came in in Genesis 3, has, has twisted that thing. And the enemy of our souls wants to manipulate that need to be needed and our need to give and receive love. He wants to use fear and shame and comparison to keep us disconnected from each other, to keep us from loving each other the right way. To keep, he wants to use fear to bring us to places of compromise and doubt, our enemy wants to use fear to paralyze us into inaction with a thousand what ifs, what if this, what if that, to hold us back from becoming all that God wants us to become. But Jesus, the light of the world, the Jesus that we're celebrating in this season, he came to expose and unravel the mess. The spirit of God has a Christmas present for you this morning, and there's freedom inside the gift, amen? You ready to unpack the word? Are you awake? Say yes. Nobody had as much coffee as I did, apparently. Verse 18, let's unpack it. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's like 10 tons of dynamite in this one little, little verse, so let's unpack it. Okay, I know Pastor Ron um, introduced some of this last week, but Jewish weddings were much different than ours. Okay, they were betrothed, they were, they were legally married. It was usually arranged by the parents, so it was a dowry that's paid, and you were legally married, but there was a year, about a year's worth of time that you didn't come together and consummate the marriage. Does that make sense? And we know that they were 14 to 16 years old, somewhere in there. And what's interesting is how many know, they're in this time in between, how many know that we're in a time in between too? That every person that said yes to Jesus and you're a Christian, everybody that's a part of this church and the church universal, we're betrothed to Jesus. Do you understand that? We're waiting for Jesus to come back, okay? And when he comes back, there's gonna be a celebration. There's gonna be, there's gonna be a marriage feast. We have something incredible to look forward to. The wedding of Christ and his church will be like nothing any human mind has ever dreamt of or pieced together with their imagination we're gonna join all of the angels and the host of heaven will be worshiping so loud that the foundations of eternity will be shaking and we will be celebrating, basking in the glory of Jesus. How many are happy to be betrothed? Amen. So Mary and Joseph, they're legally married, but they're in the time in between. The second part of 18 says, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Whew. 
I love to insert myself in the text. I try to like close my eyes when I read it and say, put me there, Jesus. I wanna like smell the air. I wanna feel the terrain under my feet. So I'm just trying to imagine for a second how this conversation went. How did Mary drop this truth bomb on Joseph? How did she set this up, okay? We learned last week the angel came to her and said, Mary, you're gonna have a baby by the Holy Spirit. So she's gotta sit Joseph down and explain this to him. How do you start this conversation? Um, honey bunny? Jojo bear. Um, you know, every time I read this, I wanna flip it. Little Judah, he came from, from kids' church, um, from pre-K, thank you, Charlie, with his little thing, and he doesn't say Joseph, he says Jophus, and he's got this little raspy voice, and he's like, Jophus, and I, and I don't wanna correct him because it's so cute, so if I say Jophus in this, it's because it, we can blame Judah. So Mary has to sit him down, and she says, Jophus, baby, sweetie, sweetie pie, I just wanna tell you something, I love you, and you're so handsome, I can't wait for our wedding day, you're my best friend, and I'm pregnant. But it's all good. It's not what you think, Jojo Bear. It's not what you think. See, this is what had happened. An angel came and told me that I'm gonna have a baby. The Holy Spirit is my baby's daddy, Jojo. And I love you, I love you, I love you. And at this point, so now I'm trying to sit in Joseph's chair, and I'm trying to imagine, like, if they're on a second story, he's probably doing the math. Okay, if I jump out the window right now, I might break my leg, but I could probably limp to the next town because he's ready to get out, yeah? The seriously, though, what a crushing conversation. Talk about getting blindsided. I love this girl, and clearly she's cheated on me, and she's a liar, and she came up with the mother of all excuses. The Holy Spirit did it doesn't even respect me enough to tell me that Billy Bob down the street, they've been talking. What a crushing conversation, I can't even imagine. In verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now in the NIV, it says that he was faithful to the law. So we get these pictures and the commentators agree that Joseph was a good man. He was trying to observe the law. He was trying to live for God with the light that they had at that time. He was a good man. This is not wanting to make her a public example. He was minded to put her away secretly. So what does that mean? And the NIV says he wanted to divorce her quietly, okay? So in Jewish society, as I mentioned, the the betrothal period was legally binding and it was done publicly. People knew that they were married. They were promised to one another. There was only two ways to get out of that. You could die or you could get a divorce. But if you got a divorce, like, you were, you, were, you were cast with this negative shadow. It could affect everything in your life. He could have a hard time getting work. He could have a hard time doing business with other people. You were frozen out. There was huge consequences. And so what he wanted to do was just try to, as quietly as possible, walk away from the relationship. And he didn't yet understand the plan of God. Let's look at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So you have to understand that Joseph, from the time he was a little boy in Jewish society, he was memorizing the first five books of the Bible, okay? 
He had heard the whole Jewish culture, there was this talk, there was this looking forward to the coming of Messiah, the person that was gonna restore things to the way they were supposed to be, the person that was gonna bring peace. Amen. So think about it for a second. Joseph has come to the most important intersection of his life. The plan of God has just been delivered to him supernaturally, but he's at a crossroad. Anybody in here ever been at a fork in the road? Yeah. Anybody that God has ever called to anything of significance is gonna face this question. Am I going to walk out the purpose and the plan of God? Am I gonna step out in obedience and do what God's called me to do, or am I gonna try to please everybody around me? So my first thought this morning, if you're taking notes, obedience to God means you might have to break up with Mr. Everybody. Obedience to God means you might have to break up with Mr. Everybody. Okay, do you know who Mr. Everybody is? First of all, he's the brother to Mr. Nobody. Now, Mr. Nobody, in my house, okay, when you hear a crash or a blood-curdling scream when you have six children, you run to that room, okay? Because there could be blood, there could be shards of glass, you don't know, you need to investigate. So when you run into the room, you start a mass interrogation. Who did this? And what you invariably get is, I don't know, I didn't do it, I didn't see anything. And in our house we say, oh, Mr. Nobody did it. Okay, so, because nobody wants to be the rat in the house, because snitches get stitches. That's Mr. Nobody. But Mr. Everybody is a much stronger force in 2018, almost 2019. Mr. Everybody is the court of public opinion. Mr. Everybody is the people that we work with. Mr. Everybody is, our, our families can be Mr. Everybody. Mr. Everybody is the 800 people on your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed. That are, all those people that are suddenly bothered this week with baby, it's cold outside. Mr. Everybody, ladies, is always ready to tell you that you're a really bad mom. Mr. Everybody is, is really ready to just criticize every choice or decision you will ever make, especially the God-honoring ones. Mr. Everybody is ready to pounce when you take a stand for God. Mr. Everybody's ready to pounce when you, certainly when you take a risk for God. And the fear of Mr. Everybody is real. What is everybody gonna think, right? You know Mr. Everybody, right? Yeah. Mr. Everybody is really offended these days, very easily. Mr. Everybody's pretty entitled these days. Mr. Everybody is delighted to hear about any truth as long as it's relative. Mr. Everybody is selectively outraged at whatever the issues of the day are for at least a day or two. Mr. Everybody is very interested in tolerance as long as it is clear that intolerance will not be tolerated. Mr. Everybody is pretty sure that you're probably getting carried away with all this Jesus stuff. Mr. Everybody wishes that you just wouldn't bring up that name anymore, that name of Jesus. But obedience to God means you might have to break up with Mr. Everybody. I mean, it's crazy, and I'm, I'm not immune to it. You know, in leadership, I know, I know what I'm speaking about, okay? Mr. Everybody says that once you're a drug addict, you're always a drug addict, because people like that will never really change. Mr. Everybody says it's crazy to walk away from a nursing career to be in full-time ministry. Mr. Everybody says you can't preach if you didn't go to seminary. 
Mr. Everybody says that homeschooling six kids is crazy because they're gonna turn out weird. Well, I've seen what everybody call, Mr. Everybody calls normal and I think Kathleen and I are just gonna go ahead and roll the dice, wring our lives out, make a lot less money and I think we're just gonna trust God that we're gonna turn out some world changers, amen? So here's my question, what's Mr. Everybody telling you right now that doesn't line up with this book? Constantly, Mr. Everybody is telling you things that are untrue about the nature and the person of God. To set our hearts and our minds on Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to put roots down in this word. To, to crush the fear of a thousand what ifs. And so Joseph, he's, he's faced with this fork in the road. And our, our fork in the road might not involve an angel and being a stepdad to the son of God, but it's a choice. Today, in this season of my life, am I gonna walk out this faith I'm professing or live controlled by the fear of man? Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fear of man brings a snare, that's a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I mean, it's exhausting to live your life in fear of what other people are thinking all the time. I mean, let's have real talk for just a second, okay? If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Because people are gonna take shots. People are gonna criticize. I don't like that decision you made, okay? This is coming from the pastor. I know. We love this program. We love this thing over here. Okay, but it's, but it's like it's not bearing any fruit. We're shutting it down. Fear of man. We'll just take a different direction for a minute. You know, the fear of man is what holds back so many people from worship, okay? They come into an atmosphere like we were this morning where, where, where we have an opportunity to bless God, to, to, to minister to the Lord. And, and people are inside, our internal narrative is, well, I don't wanna look foolish, I don't wanna look silly, I don't wanna step out of my comfort zone. Maybe you come from a more conservative background but I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you this morning. That can hold you back from your experience with God. Maybe your background had more of an emphasis on be still and know that I'm God, but that's one verse. We're commanded again and again and again through this book to praise him, to praise him with shouts, to praise him with clapping, to praise him with dancing, even if you can't dance like me and your hips are kind of frozen and you look wooden and funny, so you just have to bounce to praise him, to give hallelujah after hallelujah. Do you know what halal, the root of that word means? It means to be clamorously foolish before the Lord. Why would God command that? Because it pushes up against our sense of pride and our fear of what everybody else is gonna think. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says this, because we're afraid of looking foolish, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I, man, I remember being early on as a worship leader, and, and, and the, the Spirit of God, God showed me you know, how foolish I was before I came to Christ, and I've talked about it openly, drug addiction, all that, how hard I ran after the things of the world. And, and it was like God showed me in linear fashion, in fashion and he challenged me. He challenged me. Are you, gonna, are you gonna be that for me? Are you gonna be, are you willing to be a fool for me? Are you willing to not look so polished? Are you willing to just like sing your voice gone? And I took that to heart. And for all those years, every time I said it this morning, that was, that was my cry. I'm gonna do it this time like it's my last chance. I'm gonna give God everything. And listen, it's not about me. 
But I want, listen, I want this. I'm talking about worship for a moment because I want this for my sons and daughters. I want my sons and daughters to be abandoned before God and not abandon themselves to the things of this world. I want your children to be abandoned to the presence of God. And, and I, I, I'm on this this morning because the Lord was dealing with me um, over the last couple days. Many of you, you come to this church but you don't know what's happening here at the school. Can I tell you that every Monday there's a chapel in here and I, I lead worship for the chapel, okay? Um, and we have, we have kids from all different denominations, all different backgrounds. They are encountering the presence of God. We have kids weeping before God. We have kids kneeling before God. We have kids that are getting wrecked by the presence and the power of Jesus in this place every week. And that's a reason to give God praise, even if you don't know it. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would consume our hearts with such a love for God. In the reality of the resurrected Jesus, that we would live with this beautiful fear of God, a beautiful obsession with staying connected to Jesus, this drive to abide in him, to walk with him, to cling with him, because listen, that just, that washes out the fear of what other people are thinking, amen? Leonard Ravenhill said this, a man who is intimate with God is never intimidated by man. So obedience to God means you might have to break up with Mr. Everybody. There's people in the room, you're married and you have kids and you're still living in the shadow of what mom and dad think about what you do and it guides your decisions and it's unhealthy. Some of you have a circle of friends that you're competing with. You're competing with like financially, like Bob got a boat. We talk about Bob, I don't like his boat or him. I'm just kidding. So, so you're competing with the circle of friends? Comparing your life to them? And God, he's speaking this morning through this text. He's saying, break it off. It's stopping you from moving into places of obedience for the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. And will there be opposition to your obedience to the Lord? Yes. I'm sure there were plenty of religious people that called Mary a lot of names, but there's kids in the room, so I won't say it. And they called Joseph a fool. There's always gonna be critics of your obedience and your worship to God when it's extravagant, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Philippians 1.28 says, without being frightened in any way. You don't have to be afraid in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, and he lays out this plan. He says, you don't have to be afraid of what it looks like. Don't be afraid of, of what everyone is gonna, is gonna say. Take Mary to be your wife. Your son is gonna be Jesus, and he's gonna save people from their sins. It's hard to imagine all the ramifications for Joseph um, to saying yes to the plan of God. But I'm pretty sure that he had to grow up and kill a few elephants. It's my next thought if you're taking notes this morning, and why is it so hot in here? I'm like, I think I danced too much. Obedience to God will require killing a few elephants. Write it down. Obedience to God will require killing a few elephants. Now, before you call PETA or the international anti-big game hunting safari people, I love Dumbo. I don't even hunt. I'm not talking about real elephants. Okay, hear me out. Have you ever heard the expression, the giant elephant in the room? Yeah? I wonder, as Joseph walked out his obedience to the Lord, how many really difficult conversations he had to have, yeah? With judgmental people, how many times he was forced to protect his wife? How many times was there an elephant in the room and he just had to be honest and say really difficult things? 
So this is in the text, and I wanna draw something out because God is calling everyone in this room to a place of, of emotional and spiritual maturity, okay? God's calling us into hard places for the expansion of his kingdom, and in that process, we're gonna have to grow up and say some hard things. We're gonna have to get over our need to be liked by everybody and deal with the elephants in the room. And I'm not talking about being a bull in a china shop. I'm not talking about blasting people on social media, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I love, I love Ephesians 4. I'm gonna read it to you from the message, okay? This is gonna make sense, this point, as I read this text, okay? This is out of the message translation, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 14. No prolonged infancies among us, please. Will not tolerate babies in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. Listen, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth, and to tell it in love like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and his blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. Isn't that beautiful? He says you gotta grow up or you're gonna be a mark for imposters. In the digital age, it elevates imposters, right? Soundbite Christianity and sloganeering. And politics has replaced the solid food of God's word. God is calling us to grow up, friends. And, and, and to walk in the truth and speak the truth like Christ did. So what, it, what, I mean, what does that mean? Because the starting point is you have to know what this book says. You're gonna hear me say it again and again. That means that, that being a disciple of Jesus means you are dedicated to a lifelong study of this book. A li- making this thing your food. It's the word of God and the presence of God. You can't divorce the two, okay? If you're in a place where it's only the word, you're gonna dry up. If you're in a place that's only the spirit, you're gonna blow up. Have you ever heard that expression? And as we grow up into into spiritual and emotional maturity, it it means we're gonna have to have some hard conversations. It means we're gonna have to set some boundaries with people. And it means we love people enough to tell the truth. Listen, that's what intimacy with Jesus is, okay? How many people in this room, as you've grown close to Jesus, he said some really difficult things to you? Anybody ever have Jesus say something that kinda cuts you? He'll bring you to a verse, you're walking through a situation in your marriage or, or in your professional life. And God will bring you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking out, I know some of you in the room, God's dealt with you, right? Yeah. That's what maturity is. It's like sitting down with one of your kids and say, listen, you're going the wrong way. It's dealing with the elephant in the room. You learn this in your, in your marriage, hopefully, Right? You've gotta be able as you grow in your marriage to say hard things. If you wanna grow up and grow old together, you've gotta be able to talk out the difficult things. Are you getting this? Say yes. If you wanna move forward in the purposes of God. I'm sure that Joseph walked through a whole jungle full of elephants with a pregnant wife. You can't hide that. But this is what God does. He calls us into hard spaces where we're forced to be a if we wanna be obedient, to speak to people in truth about, about their behavior, about, about um, the way that you experience them, listen, let me just talk for a second about speaking the truth in love, okay? Speaking the truth in love is not giving a person a, leak, a list of their weaknesses. They already know their weaknesses, okay? They already know their shortcomings. This is, this is what speaking the truth in love is. 
They need to hear the truth in love that they are a child of God, that they are, that they are chosen by God, that they are saved and set free by God's glorious grace. They need to hear that they are fully forgiven because of the gospel. They're fully justified because of the gospel. They need to be reminded of what Jesus sees when, when he sees them, that he loves them, that he's for them. They need to hear that you love them like a brother or sister, and then they'll have ears to hear hard things. Listen, why is this important? Some of you are one really difficult conversation away from stepping into the purpose and the plan of God for your life. Some of you are one really difficult conversation away from saving your marriage. Some of you are one really difficult conversation. And you know, have you ever needed to have a conversation and when you think about it, you actually wanna get physically sick? It's that kind of hard, anyone? You're that one conversation away from stepping into the destiny that that God has for you, the purposes of God that he has for you. Because obedience to God will require killing a few elephants. Are you awake this morning? Say yes. Let's get back to the text. Back in 22, it says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him, his wife. So we only get snapshots. We don't know. Um, I would like to try to imagine as a parent what it's like to raise a child that never sinned, that was always respectful. We only get these these snapshots and I'm sure that it had to be really terrifying at first and certainly at the end. But God used Joseph and Mary to help deliver God's final victory over fear, over fear. It's my last thought this morning. Love steals the teeth of the lion. Love steals the teeth of the lion. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So when we talk about fear, we have to understand there is an enemy. We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. We have to be on the lookout. He's walking around. He's trying to intimidate people. He's trying to scare the life out of you. He's trying to put fear and doubt and accusation against the goodness of God into your heart and into your mind. Seeking whom he may devour. That means that we have to give him permission. We have to let him. And we let him in when we give in to fear. When we live in the worry. When we listen to Mr. Everybody instead of listening to the Holy Spirit. When we read the headlines day and night and we get consumed with political turmoil and the potential crash of world currencies instead of reading this book and, li and listening to his word. There's no turmoil in here. We can rest in here in the currency of heaven, which is perfect love. Listen to me, the currency of heaven is perfect love. And what does perfect love do? 1 John 4, 18 in the New King James, there is no fear in love, but perfect love Cast out fear. Come on, say it with me. Perfect love casts out fear. God is love. I mean, I can, I can remember, I've talked about it before, but I can remember standing over the ICU bed of my infant son with him hooked up to all this stuff. 
in not feeling an ounce of faith, only feeling fear. When I held him for the first time and he turned blue and they had to coat him and bag him with me in the room, I didn't feel any faith in the moment. I felt fear. But what I wanna convey to you this morning, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe, maybe life is all good right now. All your Christmas shopping's done. Your bank balance is wonderful. You're in perfect health. Maybe you got six-pack abs and life is just wonderful right now. But I'm sure for some of you, there are these impossible situations. Worship team, will you come? Maybe you're up against a diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe you're up against something this morning. And there's every good reason to be afraid. But if you read this book, or if you study church history, every man, every woman who's ever been used by God in any way, their lives were marked by courage and trust for God. Because listen, it's love. A lifestyle of courage is, is inevitable for those that have really encountered the love of God. When you experience his love, when you really step into the love of God, you're catapulted into the purposes of God. Love steals the teeth of the lion. I can tell you, love's God, God's love never changes. If you could hear the heart of God this morning, he would say this to you, I made you for courage. My love never changes. My love is never inconvenienced. My love is never annoyed with your questions. My love is the antidote to fear. My love is always present. And, and what do we have to do? This beautiful verse in, in, in Jude, verse 21 in, in, in Jude 1 says, keep yourselves in God's love. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So we have some responsibility in this, friends. We need fresh, ongoing encounters with the love of God. We need the presence of Jesus. We need time with Jesus. Yesterday morning, I said, I'm so grateful. Thank you, Tom and Kathy Patnode, for my office. I was here the last couple days at like 5 a.m. 5.30 a.m., the building's quiet, and I sat in there, and yesterday, as I, as I sat in the room, and I just, I just worshiped God, worshiped God, like the love of God filled that little office in such a way, and I just wept, I just wept, because I know some of the situations, I know some of the diagnoses that are, that are present in this church right now. I wept over my son. I wept over the dreams that God's putting in my heart for this church, as the love of God just washed over me. And it all goes back, my first experience here 21 years ago, when God wrapped his arms around me, he showed me the picture. It was then, I, I was broken and I was addicted and I was all those things and I had no hope for the future. I had no debt, I had no sense of any purpose. I didn't even imagine myself ever being an adult. I knew I'd be dead in a year and I didn't care. But when the love of, when I met that love face to face, it changed everything. 
My shoulders were high. I had purpose. I, I, I had a reason to, to, to hope for the future. I had a calling and a destiny on my life. And some of you, wherever you're at, if you're, if you're 15 or you're 75 in this room, you need a fresh encounter with the love of God. It's the love of God that casts out fear. If you're living spun up and anxious and worried and overwhelmed, God never intended for you to live there. That fear is not from him. That fear is a prophetic voice from hell that is telling you how terrible the future is going to be, how terrible your kid's future is going to be, how terrible this is going to go, and, 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 and your health and your finances, and it's just speaking lies. That is not the voice of the Spirit of God, and it's not the Word of God. The prophetic voice of the Word of God is saying, surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. I have a plan for your life. I've chosen you. I, I died for you. I love you this morning. And so we've got just a couple minutes left. And listen, I can't explain it any better. But that lion, that roar of intimidation, he's like a paper tiger. It's an illusion. It's smoke and mirrors that we can just run through. But it's, it's the love of God. And so listen, before we go today, this is what I do. Everybody in this room, will you stand to your feet? We're gonna take just a couple minutes because there's so much power in a declaration of the love of God. And this isn't to hype you up emotionally. Some of you are spun up. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I know there's a person, as I prayed into this, there are things in your life that are waking you up and you're losing sleep. You feel tired and sick in your body and it's all from anxiety and worry and your wheels will not stop turning. You don't know how to turn it off and the Spirit of God is saying, let me love you this morning because my love casts out fear. So there's great power when when we declare the love of God. There's a transaction in the spiritual realm that takes place. And maybe you come from a different background and you're in this room and I just wanna challenge you, okay? Nobody, Mr. Everybody's not looking at how you're gonna respond in the next few minutes, but the God himself is saying, if you draw near to me, I'm gonna draw near to you. I gave everything to be close to you. Don't hold me out. Don't freeze me out. We're gonna sing just a bridge of this song. We're gonna sing about the amazing, unbelievable, at times reckless love of God that will pursue us. I know you know the song, it's out there. I, I I want you to encounter the love of God this morning. Do you think we could sing for just a minute or two before we go on with the Christmas madness and can we do that? Can we do that?